Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. Welcome to the business community on Callan FM with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Hey, it's an exciting day today. We're starting with a subject that I, um, I saw an article from a few weeks ago. I don't know why I only saw the article a couple of weeks ago because the article's from September 2017. Um, but it was seeing this article and then, you know, how sometimes the world conspires. And in within the same week, I saw an article. Um, this was so designed to capture my imagination. There was a Harvard Business Review magazine on the shelves in WH Smith's with a kitten on the front, a ginger kitten with a, like a, a little feather in its mouth or something like that, all about the same subject. So I thought, we've got to do this. I sent the message to Heather and basically bullied her into <laughs> allowing us to talk about this subject, which this week is the curiosity quotient or curiosity on its own. And the article was about IQ, EQ and the new CQ, the new curiosity quotient. So whereas emotional intelligence was the new intelligence quotient, so EQ was the new IQ, CQ was the new <laughs> EQ. Does that make sense? <laughs> Are you with us so far? Something like that anyway. Um but from the reading that I've done, it's not saying that curiosity replaces emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence doesn't replace traditional intelligence. It's saying that actually, as with most things, a good balance of these either in one person, if, if they're, they're going to be a leader, or in a team is actually a good thing to have. And the research in the article that I originally saw, um, it refers to this term being first used by a journalist called Tom Friedman and in this um, um, article that Tom wrote he stated that the winners in the digital age will, will be those with more CQ to leverage all the new digital tools to not just find a job but to invent one or reinvent one and to not just learn but to relearn for a lifetime. So that was the start of it I think. But then as I started to look at other articles, it seems this term has been around for a long time. I just never noticed it. But it appealed to me so much. I was trying to work out why it appealed to me, not just because there was a kitten on the front of a magazine, which incidentally I was going to buy and then realised that the magazine was £18. And I thought I might have to stay there. Um, and I did find the article online. And it was, we, I think with HBR, with Harvard Business Review, you can have three free articles within a time period. So, Oh, yeah. It's really annoying when it says, in order to read more, you, you yeah. have to subscribe. Yeah. But I, I often have two or three of the articles that I'm allowed in a time period. So why it appealed to me, I think, is, I, I think it might have defined me. And I suddenly went, oh, yes, it, it, it's given um, validity to some of the strange things that I've done in my career, perhaps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, one, one of the things I've got in my biog on the on the business community website is that I, I'm into lifelong learning. Then that was the only way I could express what I meant, which is I like to learn things. One of the reasons I'm doing the show in this format with you, Heather, is it, it gives me an excuse to read books, watch TED Talks, and, and, and to generally jabber on about stuff that I'm interested in. Find out in. about stuff. Sorry, yes. Yeah, <laughs> find out about stuff. Can you be my PR person. Yep. Yep. 
Um, it says in this article um, that, that I read originally was that curious people are always finding ways to stretch themselves and pushing themselves. They're asking questions, taking classes, reading books and looking at the how, the what, the when and the who and all the other variables in any scenario. And it's like, yeah. I've lost count of the number of night classes I've done just because I'm interested. I can build a wall, I can make a hat, I can drive a forklift truck, I can do this. I've just recently gone on an art class because it sounded like fun. And I've sometimes used the phrase renaissance woman or a more modern phrase that's been used as multi-potentialite. So I did think of changing my biog to say curious and then I thought, oh, no, that just sounds odd then. (laughs) Until the term is embedded in our um, in business speak, I think it might sound a bit suspect. Yes. It might do. So I, I sent Heather off to do some research on this just because I got very excited that, yes, I'm OK. I'm not weird. Well, I might be weird, but I'm not the only one who's weird in this way. What did you find out, Heather? Are you curious? I am. Yes, I am very, <laughs> very curious. Um, I did. The Harvard Business Review had um, an online assessment that you could do, uh, which I waded my way through. And um, and it came out saying that I am an unconventional thinker, um, that I am intellectually hungry <laughs> and that I seek new experiences and relationships. And, and none of that actually came as a great surprise to me. Um, but it, it is quite nice to have a label attached to it. But a bit like you, Tracy, I've maintained. So academically, I didn't apply myself. You know, I wasn't I was I performed really badly in exams because I was too busy having a good time. And, you know, I'm a little bit like, oh, squirrel. And I'm easily <laughs> distracted. Um but I did quite well before I started my own business. I did quite well in my career. And I, I always say that I, I achieved what I achieved through asking questions and finding my way around my subject. And I think that that's the same kind of thing. And I've often said, you know, we live in a time where so, ma- so many people go to university. So many people have academic qualifications that if you're presented with a candidate for a post, for me, it's the person that is most curious, the person that is most creative in their thinking, the way that they apply the knowledge that they've got, and people who don't accept the status quo. Because if we all accepted the status quo, then we would never stretch and we'd never push and we'd never develop new things. And that's not about invention necessarily. It's about approach. It's about um, different ways of doing things. And it's certainly something that the CIPD, the Chartered Institute of Personnel Development, um, has got on its agenda at the moment. And they they talk about um, at different stages within um, somebody's career, you know, different pay scales, what this might mean. Um, and obviously being curious is, is very different if you're in a um, a more um, junior or um, initial role rather than if you're, uh, you know, in an executive, a leader or whatever. And I think that that in itself is quite interesting. So it's looking at, you know, whether your job is to just look at stuff and say, okay, what's a better way of doing this? Or whether your job is, where is the business at the moment and what direction could we take it in? And so I think that we all um, have this potential at any an, an opportunity, wherever we fit within um, within within the world of work or within the world of business, so I think it's 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 looking at if if we've all if nobody questioned and nobody thought creatively and nobody was curious, 
hey, we wouldn't have half the things that we have now, would we? I think some of the articles that I read refer to the fact that um, although now it's been accepted that curiosity is great um, for the for the organisation to, to help them to perform and to move into the future, there is still this sense that um, some organisations and some leaders feel uncomfortable with it and, and might want to stifle curiosity um, f- whether because they think it's going to um, risk, bring more risk with it, you know, we, we can't take a chance on that, or lead to inefficiency. You know, if you're curious and you're going off and researching something that isn't going to actually help you right now and, and to do the job now, you might think that that's inefficient. So there's quite a an acceptance that would need to be gone through. Uh, I think at the highest level, I think if this isn't le- a culture-led thing, just having somebody curious in the organisation, they might find it quite challenging, a, a challenge to authority if you keep going, but why? I mean, anybody who's got kids will know how frustrating yeah. it can be to have, why, but why, and then why, and why, and why? And, and if that's, on the one hand, they're saying that's what you need in employees or, or a certain subsection of employees or for some employees to have it for a certain part of their working life how can organizations actually um, bring this on without feeling the need to stifle it or feeling that it's a challenge to authority but I think uh, I I think you're you're right but curiosity uh, being curious doesn't mean maverick doesn't mean so actually uh, setting again with children actually setting boundaries you know children are asking why because they're gathering knowledge and they're gathering information Uh, and and I'm not a parent but you know kids ask why and it's only very rarely that we actually before we answer we stop and think why (laughs) You, you know why why actually is it not okay to do that or why actually do we do that that way and within an organisation, if a fresh pair of eyes or a new broom sweeps clean, you know, we hear that all the time. Well, that's the same sort of thing. Somebody comes into an organisation. Why do we do it that way? Well, because George says that we should do it that way. Well, hang on a minute. Why really? Yeah, is, so that the, not, is that the best you're way? You're not suggesting undisciplined behaviour. No, no. It's actually channeling that interest and, and that urge to research and to make yeah. connections. And then deciding yeah. whether there's something in it or whether no, actually... We don't act on that. So it's, it's. I think if you set the boundaries, people can be curious within their remit. Okay, so wait for the clunky link here. If you're curious to find out more. Oh, oh. see what you did there. Oh, you're wasted <laughs> on this. <laughs> Take a look at our website uh, for any of the um, relevant links that we've um, taken our research from. And that is the business.community. News and events this week, uh, we've uh, got a couple taking place in November and then we're starting to look forward into next year. So I I can't quite believe that myself. But anyway, uh, on the 23rd of November, March's Growth Hub are hosting an event in Shrewsbury at the Shrewsbury Town Football Club, uh, whatever name it goes by now. I can't remember, it seems to change its name. Um, It's being um, run by the Department of International Trade and it is it, it's a networking opportunity as a networking lunch, uh, but it looks at exporting, and exporting is something that most of us think. Oh, if you've got a product, you can ship it overseas. Well, actually, if you've got a service, 
you can market it overseas. Uh, and I think this just looks like a really interesting event. So it's Friday the 23rd of November from 10 till 2. It's a free event, although there is the option to pay for lunch. Um, that just looked like a goodie. Then a bit later on in the month, 29th of November, this is a showcase event. North Wales means business. It's a conference and showcase at Venue, Venue Cymru um, in Llandidno. And it's got a number of speakers and workshops. Uh, tickets are £20, including lunch. And basically, they've got the vice president of Bangor University. They've got the chief exec of Penderyn Distillery. Um, Silver Lining Wrexham's managing director. Just It just looks like a great opportunity to network with some people and find out a bit more about what everybody's up to. Uh, that is 20 it's www.2020businessgrowth.com, but details of um, that will be on our website. And then looking into 2019, um, MTP Engage Manchester. This is Mind the Product. This is an event. It's a paid event. Tickets are um, a bit spendy. They're £250. But it's all about product engagement. Um, uh, it's a conference for project man product managers and for people who want to take their product to market uh, some great speakers um, a guy from Photobox somebody from the BBC uh, yeah again looks like a goodie 8th of February it's a full day and it's at the Manchester Central Convention Centre what have you got Tracy? Okay yes I'm looking forward to 2019 as well but this is about the event that's in June 2019. It's actually something that you need to be considering now. It's another award. So I mentioned a couple of awards last week. And this is the UK Business Leader Awards. And they've got 18 award categories and a special Business Leader of the Year accolade. And it's organised by Business Leader magazine, which is a media company for entrepreneurs, business founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, business leaders. And the awards are free to enter and they're open to all businesses based in the UK. And the winners will be announced on the 21st of June 2019 at their gala dinner on Park Lane in London. Ooh. And the the national awards are self-billed um, as the Oscars of the business world. I didn't give them that title. The, the Business Leader magazine gave it that title. But if that's how they like to bill it, then I, I think they should... Um, should be given credit for that. I yep. like the idea of going to the Oscars. Um, and they give large and small companies the opportunity to sh be showcased on a national stage with media coverage and obviously the kudos that becomes um, as part of it. Um, the evening um, will have um, high-profile guests there as well, so you'll have the opportunity to mingle and network. And um, I can say they're free to enter and there are several different award categories, which I will just um, give you a quick overview of. Um, Startup business, scale up business, social enterprise, franchise business, retail stroke e-commerce business, leisure and hospitality business, manufacturing excellence, family business of the year. Disruptor Stroke Innovator Business, Export Business, Advisory Firm of the Year, Corporate Responsibility, Customer Excellence, Employer of the Year, Rising Star, Entrepreneur of the Year, Non-Exec Director, Stroke Chairman of the Year and Business Leader of the Year. That's quite a lot of awards, That's isn't it? That's a lot. What I quite like is on their website, they say right at the front where they're listing these awards and then with the link to enter is 
the precise points that the judges are looking for with each one right up front. So, you know, before you even start going into it, exactly what they're measuring you against. So, you know how to actually um, put your entry together. So, I think it's really worth considering. Um, the website is businessleadersawards.co.uk and you can go there, do the entry, have a look at the categories. And also, they've got opportunities to sponsorship sponsor the event as well so if you're interested in being in the forum which is billed as the oscars of the business world um, amongst all of these potentially award-winning companies then you might want to take a look at the same website for any sponsorship opportunities that they've got so it does seem to be award season at the moment uh, everybody's got a, a bit of a, a bit of an award that you can enter so Get entering. What have you got to lose? They're, if they're free to enter, just get on, get your entry. Even if all you do is it, spend some time thinking about what your company's like and how, how your company fits the bill with that. That is it's the real benefit. time well spent. Yes, that's the real benefit. You scrutinise your own business, don't you? So you find out a lot about your own business. So today, this morning, Heather sent me a little photograph, something that made me dance around the kitchen very quickly before I had to leave the house to go to a meeting. And uh, it, it was a picture of the Business Communities podcast on iTunes. Yay! And we have to say a really big thank you to Heather's husband. I did that on Facebook and then suddenly thought that people will be wondering why I'm saying thank you to your to your husband on Facebook. It is this, everybody. Yeah, it's not and just just for, not just for being you. married to me. <laughs> so, yes, thank you for living with Heather. Also, nobody else has to. <laughs> but uh, Heather's husband um, quite nobly took on the challenge of getting us onto iTunes, and now there we are. And um, I've got to say, this is a little bit sad. I, I would like to say I did it for technical reasons, just to check out the, the quality. But I had a 40-minute drive this morning, so I listened to last week's podcast on iTunes on my phone as I was driving. I was very, very pleased. So you have another way of listening again. You can listen on our website. You can listen on Callan FM's website if you want to hear the whole show with the music. And you can go to iTunes and press that little subscribe button. And what we'd really like you to do is to leave us a nice review as well. If you've listened to the show and you've enjoyed it, then do let us know and we'll be delighted. And we might do another little dance around the kitchen if you do that. Thank you very much. Can you tell we're very excited? Yes. We're very excited. <laughs> so having just flagged up and reviewed our um, our own our podcast. own podcast, <laughs> what are we reviewing this week, Tracy? Okay, so um, last week I mentioned um, about a book that just got flagged up because it was um, free. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there we go. It's that word again. A free book. And again, I, I thought oh, I'm going to use the same resource. So let's have a look and see what Kindle are offering to their Prime members and what, what can I get as an ebook to read for free. And so can Heather. And this is a book that I wouldn't mind actually owning a copy of. Um, now, Amazon didn't seem to sell hard copies, but I did search it down. And if you are interested, Waterstones do a paperback version. And I'm sure other bookshops will as well. But the book is called Empower Your Team to Thrive, A Practical Guide to Management. It's by Alison Price and David Price. And it, it's a guide for managers, new, experienced, want to be managers, how to get the best out of their team. 
But also, I think it's a guide for employees who want to help their managers to get the best out of them as well. Yeah. I, I sort of took it in two ways. It's quite a small book. I whizzed through it in about an hour or so, making little notes and highlighting it. And uh, I found it really good. There's a quote at the start of each chapter, and it's designed as like an A to Z. So the A to Z of being a good manager. Um, and we love a quote, don't we? So there's, you know, there's a few quotes at the start of each, well, one quote at the start of each chapter. And they do provide really useful examples. So you can, they'll talk about something and then say, now, in this scenario, and they claim that all of the scenarios they use are real life situations, real life things that have happened. And they provide exercises for you to do so you can do some reflection and some self-assessment tools. So all in all, I'd say it's a really practical guide. And even if it wasn't free, I would say it, it's worth having in your toolbox. Certainly, if you've got some aspiring managers or newly promoted managers, and, and you just want to give them a little bit of helping hand. This is a really good practical guide to, to getting started in management. What did you think, Heather? I, I agree with everything that you've just said. And I think it's a, it's a great resource uh, for those new to management who are struggling to get their head around what management actually is. Um, I've mentioned in the past my love of the quote, people don't leave organisations, they leave managers. And if we think about it, most of us leave a job and go and do a very similar job somewhere else. Often because the manager that we've got either um, isn't managing us and so we don't know what the heck we're supposed to be doing or they're micromanaging us as they're paying us to do a job of work and then stifling our ability to do that. And the bit that I really like about this book is in the assessment section, it gives you the opportunity to kind of hold a mirror up to yourself uh, for you to think, well, firstly, think about your manager and it asks questions like, um, and you have to rate them one to five. I know what is expected of me at work and I have the working conditions that I need to do my job. Um, I'm given useful and accurate feedback about my performance on a regular basis. Um, my manager helps me with personal issues. Then you hold a mirror up to yourself if you are a manager and um, it even asks you to agree with or disagree with the statement, I am a good manager. That's a good starting point. I am a good manager. Okay. What does that mean? Well, the way I communicate with my team has a positive impact upon their attitude and performance. Um, my team are under an acceptable level of pressure at work. All of these are things that we need to be thinking about. And if nothing else, if you read that section of the book, it will it will get you thinking about what it takes to be a good manager and what it takes to be managed well. What I thought were particularly useful about some of the examples which promote self-reflection afterwards is that they'll give a, an example of something and you go, oh, yeah, oh, gosh, that's awful. Oh, and you can take a sharp in, take a breath. Oh, yeah, that was dreadful. I wouldn't have done it like that. And then they say, how would you have done it? Yeah. Okay. And, the, and they lay on all the, the background to it as well. So this was actually the context of what happened there. This, this, this and this. So what would you have done? And it's not as easy as you might first think. And I think without them having asked those questions, 
it might be quite a glib read. You can just go, oh, yeah, they were wrong, they were wrong, they were wrong, but without guiding you towards actually how could you have made it better. And sometimes you can't make it perfect. Sometimes you just have to make the best of what's of available what you've got. to you. Yes. Yes. And, and I think if somebody asks you to mark five, you know, a high score on I am a good manager, well, the next question is, OK, explain to me why you think that. Now, I thought that was fascinating where they got people to score themselves and then they got their employees yes, to score them. Yeah. And routinely, the they, um, employees marked them poorer. So I, I think the guidance in the book is w- score yourself, rate yourself as a manager and then take off this big chunk yep. because this is really how you're perceived. And that was a real wake-up call for me because, you know, you think, well, I know how to do that. I know how to do that. Actually, how is that coming across? How are you being perceived? And sometimes you might be doing something from the best of places with the best intention, and actually it's being perceived in totally the wrong way because you've not communicated it properly with them. And I think... You you are not the best person to say whether or not you're a good manager. Really good point. You know, it's like I'm a good driver. Well, hang on a minute. You know, <laughs> you're sat in your car. Everybody else is an idiot. You know, it's it's one of those. So you are the last person who is equipped to say. You might say, I think I'm okay. I think there are some things I could do better. I think I'm quite good at this bit of the job. But I am a good manager. That's quite a brave statement. So in summary then, Empower Your Team to Thrive, A Practical Guide to Management by Alison Price and David Price. I would just say that I thought it was a really good, useful, practical guide. And it's another one of those easy to read, um, lots of information, lots of things to think about. You're a stokey. You said that on air. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) I am a Stokey. You are a Stokey. And the reason that that is relevant is that (laughs) (laughs) this week we're speaking about, well, we're going way, way back in time to 1730 when this... um, Don't ever say we're not relevant. Don't ever. Yeah, we're topical. If (laughs) Yeah, typically topical, if nothing else. Um, Going back to 1730 to the Staffordshire Potteries... um, and I apologise to anybody who's offended by me referring to Tracy as a Stokey, but that, that's her well, I'm own... I'm not offended. <laughs> that's her own um, word. Um, we're talking about Josiah Wedgwood, the, um, the potter and entrepreneur who founded the Wedgwood Company, that global brand, um, started off with the pale blue plates with white um, cameos on them. And now, well, is Port Marion owned by... It's Paul Berry and Pottery and by Wedgwood now. Uh, Waterford. um, It's all part of the Waterford-Wedgwood group. Ah, there we go. There we go. So um, Tracy flagged him up, Mr. Wedgwood, um, as somebody that is interesting. And he certainly is because although it might be 1730, I think you'll find that there are quite a few things that he pioneered that remain with us now. So why do you love Josiah Wedgwood so much, Tracy? I was struggling to sum it up in, into something that would last uh, in this short segment of the show. Um, I've read his autobiography, been a Stokey, I, I know the potteries. I've been to the Wedgwood Visitor Museum several times, been on the factory tours. I've been on other pottery factory tours. Yeah, I turn the plates and cups over whenever I'm, wherever I am, right. no matter if there's food or drink in them. I need to. You know. can take the girl out of Stoke. <laughs> yeah, um, and try and give me 
crockery that's not made in Stoke. No, thank you very much, um, which is actually proving more and more difficult. But I found a, a wonderful description of him in um, Forbes magazine. Now, he's ranked as the 19th most influential businessman of all times by Forbes, by their readers and their editors. I took a little bit of issue with this businessman and, and they are the 20 most influ- influential businessmen of all time. Yeah. But that's the reality. Yeah. <laughs> they were mostly men. Yeah, I, I'm was... sure there was a lot more influence going on, but it's not documented. But anyway, let's go back to Josiah Wedgwood. And Forbes, in their little summary of Josiah Wedgwood, say there's a lot about him, but what really differentiated him was his brilliant marketing strategy. And some of the things that we associate with modern business he was pioneering with. For example, celebrity endorsements. So the factory was up in Stoke-on-Trent. He had a shop down in, in London, in the smart parts of London, and he got a celebrity endorsement from Queen Charlotte. And he exploited that status as Potter to Her Majesty Enormous. It's what made his business because the rest of nobility wanted it. And then what the nobility want, it sort of filters down. And he, he made, you know, the high end stuff for the, um, the nobility. And then he was able to make some other products with his um, innovative manufacturing techniques, which were priced for the middle class clientele. And, and pottery around about those times was rough and ready. And he completely elevated it he was such a a researcher and an innovator he got stuck in and actually did the work himself and he got really involved but had this wonderful marketing plan and this this vision and I think it's that groundwork that he did what follows you know the older generations but for somehow it's given it this wedgewood this this guarantee of of sort of it's a coveted label really and I think that's largely due to his his brilliance not only with manufacturing and innovation in the manufacturing but also in innovation with marketing that's one reason he was also a a philanthropist he was involved in um, the good works you know a, a lot of people I think you've got a few names to mention but I would just mention that he was one of the key people in the Trenton Mersey Canal um which was um it's a, it's a big thing in the industrial age, building all these canals. And it, it, it was essentially something that he was involved with right from the beginning. He was he funded it. He worked for the scheme for um, um, for free. Um, and he actually then made it an indispensable part of his business because he used it to transport his crockery, which would previously have gone on donkeys in panniers or in, in um, carriages in very potholed roads to Liverpool. And it, whatever got to Liverpool in one piece was shipped abroad, whereas going on the canals meant that he could use it as a distribution link. I could go on and on. I better shut up now. Heather, <laughs> well, I'm going to take a breath. <laughs> well, I was hoping you were going to mention that he also was um, the, the first person to introduce buy one, get one free, the bog off oh, that is yeah. now everywhere. Uh, because, again, you think that that's a fairly recent um, innovation, but... You know, and, and direct mail, he was he was instrumental in that. So really forward thinking. But as soon as you mentioned his name, the first thing that popped into my mind was um, was a, a raft of, uh, of people who share his philanthropic philanthropic 
yes, yes that's the approach word. to business. And I'd, I'd like to think that if I were a hugely successful businesswoman, um, that I would be investing in my workforce in all sorts of ways. And I'm interested in social history and uh, Wedgwood sits alongside um, Robert Owen at New Lanark, Sir Titus Salt at Saltair, Cadbury at Bourneville, and Lord Leverhulme up at Port Sunlight. Uh, Wedgwood built the garden suburb at Barliston, uh, which all of these people they which built is where their factory where is. their factory is no, yeah. yeah so they they built villages for their workers to live in, and they they made sure that they you know sanitation was available housing was available and in their interest it was because then people were accessible to work um, and you know and would be at work on time um, and that they would have a safe workforce Um, but from the from the employee's point of view it was true investment and commitment so that you if you got a job you were entrenched in that organization and and the modern um, equivalent of this is um, if anybody has ever been uh, down Big Pit, which is the big mine uh, in South Wales, where they they um, they have got pit top baths. So once upon a time, you'd go and work down the mine, and you'd go home filthy, and you'd sit in a bathtub. They built a shower block for the miners. It's those types of things which seem bleeding obvious to, to us these days, but they were groundbreaking. And so Josiah Wedgwood sits amongst these great people um, for transforming the relationship between work um, and workers, uh, business and workers, which I think is and fantastic. It wasn't just him. as well. He mixed with all these people. He mixed with other innovative thinkers in manufacturing. It's quite sort of um, eclectic in mm. the number of people that he mixed with. One of the things I wanted to mention, though, because this, this made me smile when, when I read it, um, so his house, Etruria Hall, um, he built this big house on, sort of on the hill near to where his factory was very close to the canal, the new canal that was built, sort of set in amongst the village where his his workers were and in close proximity to the factory. And it was this, it was important to him just to remind the people that he was there. You know, he, he was present with the workforce. He was part of the company. And uh, in later years... It would actually, the, the location so close to the works caused offence to second and subsequent generations of the Wedgwoods because they weren't sort of hands-on involved in it. It wasn't their vision. You know, they'd been educated and they'd started to despise the industrial roots of their wealth. They moved away. So I thought that was quite bittersweet, really, that this guy had built this all up. And and when you see and read about him in the museums, you see he actually he grafted as well. The guy had lost a leg with smallpox as a child. He wasn't able to move around that nimbly, but, it, you know, he was ever present with his workforce. And that's why I chose him, Heather. It's like the <laughs> ultimate open door policy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he lives on the doorstep. Yes, yeah. So Thank I, you for mentioning. For- well, I can as... lend you the huge biography. If you I don't need to. that. I don't need that. I think I've got enough. But um, no, a really interesting one. So if you do get the opportunity, um, the factory in Barlaston now is sadly um, only making high-end products. It's making the really expensive stuff, there and the hand-painted stuff. Um, that's the only stuff that's made in the UK and the rest is, is made abroad now. Um, as with a lot of ceramic companies in Stoke-on-Trent, they relocated to uh, the likes of Indonesia. Um, but um, there is still a presence in Stoke-on-Trent and their visitor experience is second to none. So 
so it's really worth visiting. And that's that's my um, sales pitch for Wedgwood. Yeah, yeah, very good. You, you, Stoke would be proud of you. Yes, Stoke would be proud of you. Now, I didn't get a quote from Josiah Wedgwood, did you? No, I didn't. Um, no, I didn't. And I, I'm sorry that I didn't. The, the only thing that I thought was resembling it, and I thought was really, um, well, it is a quote, but it, it needs a, a context. It doesn't just stand on its own. Is I, I mentioned earlier on that he was an abolitionist. He was he was really passionate, uh, along with um, his colleagues around that time. Um, and he developed a ceramic medallions, which are probably quite familiar. Um, they, they had a, a relief of an African slave on the medallion, and, and it was popular to wear these if you were uh, support anti-slave trade. Um, and so the the question was actually on this medallion, am I not a man and a brother? So this is quite iconic mm. part of the anti-slave trade movement. Wow. There we go. A history lesson as well. We need to add that to our um, our intro. <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week. But um, well, we hope you've enjoyed what we've covered today. Uh, if we'll you want to listen again, yeah, oh, you... go and listen to some oh, other yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah. On the on, podcast. On the podcast, yes. <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.